Hey, what's going on everybody? It's John, Bam Bam the dog. Uh, first, on behalf of both of us and everybody from the Real Ones team, I just wanna sincerely thank you guys for, for, for tuning in. The folks that I bring on the show, they're family to me, and uh, being able to tell their stories and bringing you into their world is something I'm, I'm just super proud of and uh, again, grateful that you guys tune in. We've decided we wanna take things just a step further. We're gonna introduce a Patreon community. And basically what that means is if you become part of this community, look, I already bored Bam Bam. If you wanna become a part of this community, you're gonna be able to hear episodes early and all that, ad-free and all that good stuff, but there's all this behind the scenes footage, all this stuff that we've shot um, that really brings you into the folks that we've had on the show, really brings you into their world. You're gonna be able to do live chats with me and the folks that I bring on the show to talk about their world, talk about the issues that they're dealing with, about their triumphs and their tragedies. Just go to Patreon slash Real Ones. This whole idea was um, something about building bridges and, and, and bringing people together and um, bringing folks that often don't get the mic and, and giving the mic to them. So the fact that you guys tune in means the world. Anyways, again, thank you. Uh, be good to each other out there. Rock and roll. How would you explain, you know, what it is that you do? Oh, like how, Jesus like what, 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 what do you do for, for a living, Baratunde? Like how would you explain it? Um, here's, I came up with a new one. Go ahead. Is this something you think about? All the time. Okay. Because I have to answer this question all the time. Okay, fair enough. And fair what enough. I'd rather say is just like, I'm Baratunde. Okay. And over time, you just kind of understand what that is. But the market, you know, the marketplace sometimes needs clearer lines around you to be able to put checks into them. Um, and to get, to get paid for things. So right now, I'm, I, I think what I do is I hold space for complex conversations, especially around race, tech, democracy. And I do it with a sense of humor, uh, with a sense of compassion, and with intelligence. And that looks like a lot of different things. Sometimes it's me writing, sometimes it's me speaking, sometimes it's me moderating stuff. And then if somebody presses or they need something a little more conventional, I'm a writer, I'm a comedian, I'm an activist, and I mix all those things together across different formats. You're all about just straight. Can, can I, can I, so I haven't seen you in so long. Yeah. And I don't know what you've been doing at all. Can you just give me yeah, a Yeah, I'm going to give quick... you the, the 22 seconds. Yeah. Break. So <laughs> when, I, when I got out of college, I had a great gig. I covered the White House and Capitol Hill for a little radio news bureau in D.C. and did talking head, pundit kind of stuff on CNN and Fox. Yeah. Uh, and then I was an embedded correspondent in Iraq, and I went with a combat engineering unit from Kuwait to near Baghdad. And it's interesting relative to what you're talking about, because I got back, went back on cable news, and all of a sudden was talking to people who were talking about Iraq, literally just making stuff up. Yeah. And I was like, no, yeah, I, I, bit of that and I was like, no, yeah. I was there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they'd look at me and be like, don't care. I'm going to say whatever it is wow. I want to say. And it just felt toxic to me. Yeah. And I think that problem has not gotten better over time. So I watch cable now from that lens of people who have lived experiences talking about things yeah. versus people who just talk about things. And the balance is so skewed towards the latter. I find a lot of it unwatchable. Yeah. I, my sister was a journalist for 25 years. And she said this thing I think you would appreciate. She, she thought that um, journalists had an obligation to refresh their, their skills, and most importantly, their connection to people. So she's like, if you've been in a newsroom for every X number of years you've been in, you gotta get out. And go, go do something. Go do something. Talk to a take human a, being. Take a six month thing and like work somewhere, travel, visit, be back in touch with people. Because yeah. if you're just stuck in reporting without the contact, 
then you're just making stuff up. Like it sounds like that's what you experienced. Well, and I think I, it is. And I think the cable news thing is hard, right? Because it's like you can't, on the one hand, say that social media is like destroying the world and look at cable news and say it's a little bit not doing the same thing. Yeah. But the challenge social with media news, says to cable news, I learned it from watching you right, and back. Yeah. Right. Straight up. And so it's but it's hard as well, because I feel like for people who do have a voice going on cable news is a little bit of a rite of passage in the process of building your audience and getting your voice out there. So it's like people who are smart and intelligent need it. But it is also super toxic to the dialogue people have. But you, you you're going because you're, you're going to it, and 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 now you know if you're going to listen, if you're going to watch fucking Tucker Carlson, or if you're going to watch Rachel Maddow, like you know what just you're going to get. Just style tips. That's why I watch Tucker. Carlson. <laughs> oh, <laughs> just style tips. Both white supremacy style tips. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think the thing that is so toxic and so so dangerous is people giving their opinion. But not letting it be known that it's their opinion, trying to trying to you know explain their opinion as if it's fact. Yeah, there's there's a lot. Yeah, we're gonna be in this for a second, uh, I think. So, yeah, the Walter Cronkite era to me represents the past. Always looks greener, uh, you know, in yeah, some way. Totally. Like, was America great in some ways before whom? And did media work? Yes, but also so many voices not as a part of that mix. And you were talking about this a second ago, Gareth. Like. There's a pathway and there's all these excluded people who now have a, an ability to say something. The Kansas City Star did something really, I think, appropriate and somewhat courageous. They looked back at their, they looked back at their coverage and they said, uh, we were racist as hell. You know, this is like the official paper of this region and they just didn't cover black Kansas City at all, hmm. except crime. And so they painted a picture of this town, which wasn't true. It was very limited. But it was during this golden era of media where like classified ads could pay for stuff. And Little League was a thing. We had bowling. We had this whole idea of like America functioning and a level of like unity. Yep. But that unity didn't extend to like this whole other community. Yep. That rhymed. Look at that. <laughs> um, so I, there are some things that we should restore in terms of how the business of media works. Like what, what would you restore? I don't, we have had a significant consolidation in media um, and the chasing of dollars, like the demand for journalism to be this super profitable business has encouraged clickbait yep. on the internet and on cable media. Yep. It's like, oh, let's just have people shouting because yep. folks will watch that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's, a, it's got a kind of a lowest denominator search where you, if you just give people what they say they want, that's a slippery slope. Yeah. Uh, so I'd, I'd love some different types of funding for media. Um, and then transparency, which we were just talking about in terms of not just saying, like, this is my opinion or not, but who's paying for this thing. Yeah. There's, you know, what Sinclair Broadcasting has done to buy up all these lo regional local news networks and embed a hyper-conservative take on what remains of local news without being upfront about it, to me, is very frightening. Because folks think they're, they're eating something that they're not. Right. They're eating an ideology and they think it's a more neutral, like this is what's going on. Or here. some of them know what they're eating and like it. Yeah. You know, that's the scary thing. Yeah. So I'm curious what you think. I mean, you've been, I play journalist. You actually were one. Yeah. It's so goddamn long ago for me. I'm not sure I can even claim that, but, but I'll, I'll try. This motherfucker just got out of prison, bro. <laughs> yeah, that's why you look like, hey, is that you, why you yeah. wear sunglasses? Yeah. yeah. Can you see him in the sunglasses? You might want to, are, are your uh, eyes hurting? Yeah. I love you. You look sexy as fuck. There's a lot of 
light out here. Man. Oh, I just want to make sure that you here. can't see. You know, you go, okay, <laughs> they'll actually be here for me in about an hour. Okay, that's so just that. Let's get through it. You know, there when you we hear the chopper, yeah, we yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you. By the way, you'll only have to wait about three minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, more Venice, dude. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I think one of the, the the good things that has happened is I look at your guys' podcast and what people have said is like the system is broken, so I'm going to go out on my own. And I can actually turn this into a revenue generator. And again, there's going to be successes and failures. But someone like Joe Rogan is so successful at that, he could hire a newsroom if he wanted to, right? So if you can get the audience striking out on your own, you can actually build your own little entity. And I think that that is what is like really shifted in the last couple of years as a cool new paradigm in it. It's funny because I think Sidwell now and where, where, where we went to, to high school we were there when I think Sidwell was just starting to become the Sidwell that potentially it is now. And, and um, in my opinion, um, what, when did you start going there? I had done first grade in a different school, but okay. then I went back and did another first grade at, at uh, Sidwell. Okay. So I, I was there. So what what were you? You were fifth? Seventh. Seventh? Yeah. What about you? Gary? Third. Third. Okay. Yeah. One, three, seven. Yeah. What was, your, what, what, what was, uh, what was your first memory of, of Gareth or me? You got any fir first memories of that? <laughs> can you take your glasses off for one moment yes yeah. that's it the, the beautiful eyes. blue eyes Those right blue my eyes. are serious dude <laughs> like, right i had never seen eyes so like let me that tell you a story before. man john gives the best man speech at my wedding okay and hey, this hey, thing th th this th thing is as unprepared as the best man speech <laughs> could possibly be okay and about 15 minutes into it, he starts talking about my beautiful blue eyes hey, look, look, how the look, first man. time he saw them, they were soft and dreamy. This was after the night before the sheriff's department like, <laughs> shut, shut down the rehearsal dinner because of a <laughs> giant fight with, with, with a bunch of Marines. But the, 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 the memory about his eyes. Yes. I remember being in the lower school lunchroom mm. and like looking across the lunchroom and just noticing his eyes. And for the first time in my life, I was like, that's what a handsome man looks yeah. like. Like that's a <laughs> handsome man. So true. And 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 then I also remember the, the my first memory of Gareth is he was walking through that lunchroom yeah. with his tray. And you know I was a big asshole when I was a kid. I mean you, true. you know I'm sure. I love and, the past and, tense. Right. You know what I mean? And I went I went up to him and 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 I you know I said something mean to him yeah. and, and I knocked his. His tray office. So you bullied him. I bullied him. <laughs> yeah, that, that is what that's called. That's There's what that's called. That. It's exactly what I don't want my kids to do. And yeah. Garrett turned and he slapped me right in the face, which is such a great lie. I tell my kids, <laughs> just slap a bully right. And you know, we were like immediately friends <laughs> after that. At least I liked him. Classic you know? male bond. <laughs> my, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. But that was my first. But but I mean, I'm like, I'm trying to think of my, my, my first memories of you. Same with you, John. Yeah. I, um, my first memory of you that I can access right now is through your older brother. Tom, right? Yeah, really? Played football. No, Tom didn't play football. He didn't play football? No, Nick did. Who, Nick Tom did. It must have been Nick. I really thought you had an older brother. Paul, Paul Thornell played football. Huh. It was this homecoming flash. Okay. Where I just had this association. Because you, to me, you had like a crew. Mm -hmm. There was like a burnt all crew because uh, Nick was the younger one. Right? Yep, yep, yep. See, yep. see, I have the name. I don't even. I haven't been in touch with. Yeah, that's crazy. Like, there's Tom. There's John. Yeah, there's Nick. Straight up. And they like quarter by height. Yep. You know, this little crew. This like 300 phalanx of of burntallism. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and like meaty. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just like brawly. <laughs> um, that's so. It's it's an emotional. It's like a splash of memory. It's not a first interaction. Your eyes. 
fucking cut through See what I'm saying, dude? history. Tell your parents that, man. Do I need, right. to, put, do I need to put the glasses back no, on? No, I mean, <laughs> look, you know, my wife, she's not here. Yeah, it's no, cool. We <laughs> yeah, you, the table's between us. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't remember your eyes, John. Yeah. Oh, sorry man. to say. Man, that's just because I had my sunglasses off the whole time. Yeah, if I had done a big covering black eyes like constantly, did, probably. That would have been different. <laughs> I remember, my memories of you were you were friends with everybody because you were always such a nice person. You were right. always such a nice person. Yeah. And my other memory of you actually was and, and I'd love to ask you about this was when you made a conscious effort, effort and choice yeah. to change your name from Barry to Baratunde. That's right. And by the way, your name is so awesome. It made <laughs> sense you. just based on the name itself. <laughs> I don't remember. But I Barry. feel like that was a yeah. big moment for you. I showed that? up as Barry in okay. seventh yeah. grade. Um, it was the nickname that followed me from my elementary school. And kids were always just trying to shorten it, you know, and there was actually I was Barrington in my, my, my primary school, it kind of got shortened to Barry. And when I came to Sidwell, there were a few people who knew me as Barry from this youth orchestra program I was a part of. So they helped pour fuel on that fire. And at the, I was, um, I came to Sidwell at a weird time. Yeah. Seventh grade, I still lived in DC, mostly black neighborhoods, starting to become more Latin. And I was simultaneously- Where did you live? Uh, Mount Pleasant, yeah. Columbia Heights. Yeah. Technically Columbia Heights, right? 16th Street was kind of the border. Uh, but Mount Pleasant, Columbia Heights, Adams Morgan was a little more distant. And through our middle school principal, Bob Williams, I joined this program, Saturday weekend program, a rites of passage program. It's this group called Anko Bia. And it was, it was kind of like whip little black boys and girls into shape. It was a coming of age and Mr. Thing. Williams ran that? He was one of the, the elders in the community yeah, that, that organized this program. He was program. definitely the right person for Dude, whip We got to gotta have a little Mr. Williams <laughs> conversation, Doug. He was the only reason my mother was comfortable sending me to see Wow, wow. She was like, here's a strong black man that, yeah. my, so, that my boy can look up to. Yep. It was just me and her in the house. You know, yep. My father was long since dead. So she met him. He brings up this program, which I'm assuming he didn't bring up to you. Um, and I start raising my level of race consciousness because every Saturday I'm around all these Afrocentric dudes wearing dashikis and doing physical drills. It was a little militaristic. It was intellectuals, all these things. And I'm at, in the whitest place I've ever been in my life. Which was you know, Sidwell. Sidwell. Like right. I'd, I'd literally never been around so many white people right. um, because I grew up in D.C. when it was still a chocolate city and right. I went to a public school right up the block. Right. So Barry increasingly wasn't me. I'm going Saturdays learning about the history of African nations and religions, and I'm showing up as Barry. So at the end of seventh grade year, I was like, I'm done. Barry's dead. You got to call me Baratunde. And it was so exhausting because everybody already knew. You get The first impression was Barry. Right. And so then I had to go person by person. Wow. I was like, I was like a little lobbyist. I remember yeah. make, specifically making deals with Jaime Carrillo. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and and uh, he went the other way, right? He did. Yeah. <laughs> and and Philippa, yeah. uh, Philippa Gage, and both yeah. of them made deals. They're like, okay, I'll call you Baratunde. Jaime's like, if you call me Jamie, that's right. And I was like, okay, look, is yo your body, your choice, yeah, man, your name, done. like yeah, you. Yeah. Yes, I'll call you because I'm asking you to call me what I want to be called. So I'll call you. And and uh, Pippa, I was like, let me call you Philippa. You know, I will like do a parallel. And I was one of the few people to call her Philippa instead of Pippa, which I just like the name more. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, it took years yeah. to undo Barry, yeah. but over to, probably three years, like by the time we were in ninth grade, most people had come around. And uh, it, was a, it was a little glad handing, handshaking kind of campaign to make yeah, yeah. little side deals. You know, it's so that. interesting because like part of what you're getting at beyond the, the name is 
we had a shared experience and a totally not shared that's experience, right. Yeah. right? And I think yeah. that's one of the things that, that we should talk about. You know, interestingly, like we both reconnected in different ways with Dax Devlin Ross, yeah. who just wrote a really interesting book. Another one. Okay. Another one, yeah. And, you know, he, he's been talking a lot about just that, right? How we all went to school together. Yeah. We were all friends, but ultimately like his white friends and him really didn't have the same experience right. at Sidwell. Right. And it's about time they acknowledged that. Mm. And in this moment of racial justice, figured out how they're going to step up mm. and do more than he felt like they did in the past. And it just made me think of that because yeah. I've been spending a lot of time talking to him about that and going through my own process of acknowledging that reality that yeah. I probably wasn't conscious of enough before. Yeah, that's good to hear, man. I, uh, we're all kids, and so you only know what you know. Yeah. So there's, there's, I have a lot of uh, understanding and like space to be like, well, how there were so many things I didn't even know about what I was experiencing or I couldn't articulate, and how would I expect these other people and at the same time, there's so many assumptions and so many, like the universes were parallel and they didn't always intersect. And I certainly felt exhausted by Sidwell in a different way. How and, so? Because I just think I had a job there, man. Like I was, some of it I, I brought on and I took on myself. Um, but I remember, you know, the experience of doing those plays with Ricky Payton. Yeah. Um, the Black History Month productions yeah. every year. That was like educational work. You know, yeah. we were really trying to, the, as children, raise the collective consciousness of what the black experience in America was and also at Sidwell. Yeah. And then I had so many meetings with the administration. Like, I wrote reports, dude, you know, about discrimination at Sidwell, about racism at Sidwell, about uh, unequal disciplinary you know, mm -hmm. behaviors from the administration that said, well, I still have that report. You know, the students, I presented to the board of trustees. I mean, there was. And, and what do they do about it after you present? I don't know. Yeah. You know, like they formed a task force, maybe. Right. Uh, again, same I, thing government does. Yeah, they, yeah the first yeah. we got to form a task, task force. force. Yeah. <laughs> By the time it's done, no one will remember. But and, you know, and, they, and they, you know, they, Sidwell was very excited that I was there and annoyed, right? And their excitement exceeded their annoyance because. I ultimately made them look good. And I think yeah. they were thinking long-term, like, like any institution, we're going to take credit for everything you do. Your college is very proud of you. You, you know, you said, oh, John Berthold, we're so excited. Like, even if they're not. Yeah, I don't yeah. get that one. I did enough dirt at that school that they, they, they don't acknowledge They're like, that. nah. You got a lot of Johnny-come-lately pride, though. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. But that's cool, man. I'm good with so, it. So, yeah, anyway, I felt like I had work at Sidwell, race work and leadership work and even like schooling these teachers and these administrators and the parents. And so I would just be, it's like another extracurricular. There's school, there's track, there's wrestling, which I did for one year, hilariously. I'm so grateful for that school because of the friendships and because of the relationships. That being said, you know, I was never made to feel smart there. Yeah. I was always a trouble kid, a bad kid. I was always right on the cusp of getting kicked out. I was not a great student. Yeah. Um, I tried to act in a play and the drama teacher said I was a terrible actor. You mm. know what I mean? Like he said that publicly to like the other kid. You know, like anything I tried to do, yeah. it was just like, you're the troublemaker. You're the fuck. Can up I just tell one box. very important story? Because John now is a, like a famous actor. Yeah. We both tried out for the 11th grade musical and only one of the two of us got into that fucking musical, <laughs> and it was not that guy. Yeah, man, straight up. It, it was just like a thing where was they were that like. Scapino? 
What, I think it was like uh, no man. I remember it was uh, Oklahoma. Oklahoma. <laughs> stupid ass cowboy show. <laughs> in I'm glad, I'm glad you were able doing? to let that go, John. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Really I'm nice not mad at all, though. You've grown past uh, that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now we got something to talk about at dinner later. Yeah? <laughs> Straight up. What are the pitfalls? What are the what are the landmines? And what 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 are the things that are dangerous about it? Like when you talk about the the the, the lack of expression, the lack of being able to challenge things, the lack of being able to have cogent and varying arguments. You know, like what what do you guys? What, what what's your experience with that? I think there's this constant push and pull with this stuff between, on the one hand, white people who say that they want to learn and change, and generally white people's capacity to be told how fucked up they are for only so long before they just can't do it anymore and they rebel against it. And so part of the training that people are going through or asking for, the consciousness, is around recognition of things that have happened. And that recognition doesn't feel good. Yeah. And a lot of pe white people have very limited capacity to sit with that before they're like, I, I can't do that anymore. That doesn't make me feel good. And I don't know how to rectify that. I think part of it is the getting to solutions as quickly as possible. Like, I think one of the places that I've been really focused on is workplaces because it's a very tangible place where you can make different things happen, right? And so when I look at a lot of the sort of the, the challenges around race, and I know we'll, we'll talk a little bit about, um, about policing in a minute, but especially in the workplace, this stuff is a reality, right? It's like the way you write job descriptions, the questions you ask in interviews, the criteria that you put on people to apply for jobs in the first place, the way you give promotions, like all of this stuff has embedded racial overtones to Can it. Can you give and examples? Yeah. So a perfect example is like so many job descriptions are put out there asking for where you went to college that don't actually require a college degree to do the work. Institutions and organizations that are reliant on who you know to get jobs. Because most organizations have white people at the top, if you're relying on relationships, they are going to find more white people to bring into those organizations to apply the job. So it requires organizations to say, no, we're not just going to do this based on relationships. We are going to extend ourselves outside of the way this is done to find more diverse candidates. So what I love about some of this stuff is the practicality of it. And I think where it has to get to is, unfortunately, white people's capacity for living in that bad space is limited. And so we've got to do this in a way that gets to this proactive change as quickly as we can. I'm going on tour with Gareth. Okay. That was dope. Okay. I'm so glad you went first. Thank you. Thank yeah. you for taking that bullet. Yeah. Um, I agree with uh, so much of that assessment. And I think the, um, there's a lot of history involved in where we are. And I think white America in particular, America in general sort of uses amnesia as a feature. And we've, we forget parts of the past that are painful, doesn't feel good to acknowledge all the slaughter it took to build this country, all the theft it took to build this country. And I, I as a human, I understand nobody wants to ma be made to feel like shit about themselves. I don't. So I, I can understand resistance <laughs> to applying that to somebody else. You're telling me I didn't work hard to get where I am? You're telling me I only have what I have because I did somebody? I didn't do nobody wrong. I struggled too. And we start in different positions. And we had laws on the books for multiple generations to prevent 
whole classes of people from getting what your people got. The Homestead Act of 1860 was for white people only. The GI Bill, which we praise, the New Deal, which we praise, was basically a new deal for white America. They explicitly excluded certain occupations held by black people from those New Deal benefits. We you know, go out and fight in World War I and World War II. We, we fought the Germans twice. Come back, can't buy a home because yeah. the federal government makes it hard. And so you know, I, I have this little joke. I mean, some of the stuff I do, I'm like the best way for black people to build wealth in America is to get a time machine and go back and just keep their land that they got chased off of by the Klan after Reconstruction. So, and all that, that literally adds up. It's not a theoretical like, oh, white people are always racist. Like the government established to benefit whiteness made it impossible for black people to move forward. And when we did, took our shit (laughs) and burnt it down. Right. Tulsa, Rosewood, like the list of massacres. And I didn't even bring up the indigenous stuff. Right. Right. But, but what happens, and Gareth, what, what I like so much about what you said is it doesn't feel good. And that the capacity to sit with what I think of as shame, to face the fear that looking back at that. And so what I'm learning to do, because like how do we, do, I think it has to be done. I don't think we can move forward without looking back, but I acknowledge that looking back is very painful and can feel like a punishment. But in my own life, yeah. I'm like, okay. I'm looking back at my childhood. I'm looking back at my choices. I'm realizing there are parts of me that are missing or broken or hurt, and they're inhibiting me from moving forward yep. in my relationships, in my business. So I got to deal with that. Fuck yeah. I talk to a therapist about it. I work with a coach about it. I meditate. I eat differently. I exercise. And I try to transform that because avoiding it limits my capacity to grow. Growth hurts right we go to the gym you build you're tearing shit but if we got if we're going to move forward we also have to look backward and so what i want and what i'm working on is like approaches to still be honest and be real and also let people know who are afraid yeah it's gonna hurt but there's something better on the other side yep and it's not just better for me i think it's the other hook a lot of the way we talk about racial justice it's like, we gotta help black people, we gotta help minorities, gotta help BIPOC people. And it's like this favor that white people have to do for non-white people because of all the free shit you've been able to enjoy. And I think that's too small. I don't think it's the full truth. Heather McGee writes about this beautifully in her new book, The Sum of Us, where there's gains for everybody if we see that including more people can benefit the whole society. It's, it's not simple, I mean, it's not easy, but it is simple, I think. I, I think, think that's right. I think yeah. the, I think the, and it's, it's, and, and by the way, that was even better than mine. Like, <laughs> Tag team. I, I will say, you know, it's not even the flip side of it. I think that we also th- casually throw around words like racist, you know, bigoted. Number one, when people make honest, well-meaning mistakes who I think want to get to a better place and we use it to generalize about large groups of white people and it's wildly counterproductive because people look at that and they're like i'm not that now maybe they have an element of that or a behavior like that but you start to toss those generalizations around and you actually all it does is people throw up a wall and they say i will not participate in this so i think we just also have to be super careful about how we label people how we use language and really focus on those intended outcomes because there's so many situations where just a little knowledge and awareness about this stuff just 
fucking gets people to a better place. It gets society to a better place. So here's what happens. Yes, and like I'm so torn because there's um, oppressed people always have to hyper consider the feelings of the oppressor mm -hmm. for their own liberation. It's this catch 22 where it's like, I want my freedom, but I can't say it too loudly or I'll offend the person who has the capacity to help me get there. Well, you can right? say it, you just can't say it's you that's standing in my way. Yeah, and know? so it's like, and we've been at this for so long, generations and generations of people. So when you're young, you're energetic, like, yeah, we, did, we already did that part. Mm -hmm. We put it in music, we put it in poetry, we put it in film, we put it in dance, yeah. we, we, we put it in the blood and the soil and the food and the buildings and the raising your babies for all this time. So pardon me if calling you a racist is just like, I gotta, I gotta get there quicker. And that is, <laughs> right? that, but that's exactly the tension that's we're the talking humanness. about, right? Yes. It's like the, the desire to say that yeah. because it's true with the necessity of getting white people on board yeah. and the limited capacity to hear it, right? So, and so, so that is the constant like battle, I think. And the question of, uh, I, I think about a lot, I try to answer in what I think is the right way, but I know I can't always, do I wanna be right? Do I wanna be effective? And there's often a tension between that in all kinds of choices in life. You know, you could, you could be right and set yourself back, you know, cause you're just exploding, Straight up. right? You were justified in your emotions, but acting on them in that moment, now you're in trouble with the law. I also think that when you're subject to that metaphorical knee on your neck, it's just a little ridiculous to be like, could you just say I can't breathe with more compassion and love in your voice? <laughs> <laughs> could just smile as yeah. you beg for your life and that's what you know it's an extreme example but that's kind of what it feels like and i don't want this to be interpreted as hey people suffering suffer with a smile and always there's a whole bunch of people not actively suffering who want to end suffering that could do more work I, let me ask you a question because yeah. one thing that i i thought was so interesting about defund the police was yeah it created this binary where the only way to fund the resources we needed was to take money from the police pot and put it into all of these other services. And to me, it was like the great dodge, right, for government, which wastes a shit ton of money doing a bunch of things we don't need if we actually cared and prioritized minority communities, we would both fund the police, who we need, and we would fund the other shit hmm. from somewhere else in the government. Yeah. But it's just not a priority. Like why so the, why, why the does only, it have to be an anti-police Why does the, the only pool became take money from the police to do all these things? And it's like, no. Why don't we take money from all the shit that you spend on For that's instance, less important than this? I mean, look, a perfect example is, right? Like if you live in Los Angeles in a wealthy white neighborhood, you can be sure that whatever you need, you want your alley paved, you want your sewers fixed, you want your schools topped up, you're gonna get all of that stuff, right? Because that's where politicians' money come from when they run for election, and so they get their coffers filled, and in return, there's a little wink, wink, nudge, nudge, and you get the money back afterwards, right? If a politician had the bravery to break that paradigm and said, listen, like, I'll take your money or not take your money, but once I'm elected, I'm actually gonna put the money into the things that I know this community needs. They'd go back and they'd fund the police because crime is bad for everybody. And they'd also go back and they'd fund all of the social services that I think the defund movement has said need to come from the police. And to me, I, I listen to that and I'm like, this is not the way forward. 
I disagree. <laughs> this goes, this go. is fun. Let's do it. So I, but I will, but I'll start by saying when I first heard defund the police, I was like, this sounds nuts. <laughs> like I, was, I was, my first thought was, that's crazy. Second thought was, what about crime? <laughs> and because like crime bad, yeah. police stop crime. And, and police don't necessarily stop crime is one thing I've learned. Like they investigate it. Yeah. They, uh, they try to suppress it in some ways. They, you know, put up towers and watchtowers in the and they presence. keep it out of white neighborhoods. Yes, yeah. and and that policing is is kind of corralling and coordinating in so many ways that we've done in the history of our country. But I I remember um, finding out that L.A. City fifty four percent of our budget was going to L.A.P.D. and that struck me as ridiculous, given all the needs of any city. Mm-hmm. And then I looked at all these other cities where I have lived or just have an interest or just curious. Google's my friend, and I was like, oh, it's like always almost always the number one outlay. So I was like, oh, mathematically, we live in a police state. That just, it didn't feel good to think about it that way. And I also was thinking sympathetically about people who are police, same as I do with teachers sometimes. We're like, we're asking these people to do a lot and we're not giving them tools, right? We're, We're giving them leftover remainder stuff from Iraq and Afghanistan. That does not help with the challenge of people without homes. It really doesn't. Or people doing, having mental health crises breakdowns in their apartments or in the middle of the street. And so we're giving people like weapons and badges, which help them dodge accountability for using those weapons. And when crime goes up, police budgets have gone up. And when crime goes down, police budgets have gone up. So I was like, okay, this isn't really about crime then. It was divorced from the reality of the data. And it it just, it didn't sit right with me. So I was like, look, we need to reallocate these resources because it's gotten to such an absurd level. And I, it's hard to say defund the police and not hear anti-humans who are police officers. Sure. I try to separate that because I think almost like whiteness, right? There's a system here. And the incentive set up in the way we do policing as a system, they just don't serve us, I don't think. And I think a lot of police officers, some of whom I've talked to, are like, yeah, I don't know how to deal with this shit. I'm not equipped. We got six months of training on this and then we're out in the streets and we have to improvise and figure stuff out. And it's actually a burden on policing. I'm really good friends with a guy I went to college with. He runs the Center for Policing Equity and he works with like 20, 30 different police departments all over the country. And these chiefs are all asking, we need help. We actually need more investment in mental health and blah, 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 blah. And we just got this badge and these guns, it's not enough. Uh, but it's not a conversation that they often have publicly either because they feel under siege yeah. or because it's politically, we've created this situation where you just give police more shit, you know, give them money, give them tanks, and you could check that box off as a politician because you believe in safety and crime bad. And I just think it's super simplistic. And I think there's yes, other ways yeah. that we create safety that have nothing to do with law enforcement. And it's this blunt instrument that we throw at every problem because the people we throw it at don't vote in big numbers, don't give money to the politicians who co-sign these policies. Mm-hmm. So they're more expendable. And I think that's a disservice to the people who are police and certainly to the people who are subject to their power. Uh, so, but but I, I, I do want police budgets to be reduced <laughs> like, because I just think there's cr- more creative ways to make communities safe. And that's not because I don't want the humans who are police to be able to feed their families. It's just, I, I think that's a, if that was the case, we would still be funding milkmen. You know, there's just some things that 
they don't they're not appropriate for the problem we're trying to solve. What do you think, John? I mean, you have you are much closer to law enforcement probably no, than I, both of us and you like I think so much of the brutality, so much of just the awful shit that has been there for fucking ever is because you've got these police officers out there who are scared as shit, who are not who who are not strong. There's 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 nothing you know, the guy who's yelling and and and, and jacked up, like that that is He's not coming from a place of strength. Yeah, yeah, man. Look, I, I will never forget the meeting for worship after Rodney King. Like I'll never forget it. Like we 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 shut down school and we all went into the the gym and we had a meeting for worship and we basically did our version of 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 prayer and people spoke. You know, I I remember the 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 the, the, the fervor and the hurt and the pain, yeah. it, it like stuck with yeah. me. And I can't believe here we are, you know, grown ass men, I'm fucking gray as shit, I can barely move. <laughs> and it's the same shit. Yeah. The one thing I know is that the, I think that the anti-police movement, I think that's, I, 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 I think that's gonna be a problem. I, you know I, what I mean? I, I, I agree in a, in a number of ways. And I think there's a universal thing we wanna try to avoid, which is dehumanizing. You know, it's just, it leads to, to horrors. It leads to war crimes, straight literally. Up, straight up. When you no longer see somebody as a human being worthy of life, worthy of respect. But it's been done to look, young black men in this country for so long. So the answer to that is not, well, dehumanize the dehumanizer. That's right. That's right. right. And so we'd, we'd lack spaces for humanity to show up. I think it's interesting too, though, because we forget also like when somebody comes out of a police academy, like how young they are. You know, it's like you've got, guys and their women in their early 20s who've gone through like not a super long period of training mm -hmm. and what happens out in the real world is complicated and it happens fast yep. right and i think i mean i always try to like put things in the perspective of what i was capable of when i was like 23 or 24 years old which was very little <laughs> and then you think about some of the situational like things that happen to police very soon after yeah. getting out and it does feel like there is more we could be doing to equip people to handle more complex situations yeah. in the way that we train them to do their jobs in the first place. I, like, I, there's a cop I know out of New York and the culture that he grew into in the, in, in the police department there was so negative. It was so brutal. It was peer pressure. It was the worst locker up. room yep. ever. Yeah. Yep. It was a gang and he was exactly. pressured into doing criminal like shit. And you know, if he did it- Us against them. Right? Yeah. And if he didn't, then you got a bunch of dudes with guns yeah. who have an excuse to not have your back Straight up. or to have an accident happen or to not promote you if they have power over you. And this dude was so brave. You know, he had been asked to basically do illegal stuff, discriminate. Like give tickets to these kids, not those kids. It was a jaywalking, bicycle on the sidewalk. You do that in East New York. You do not do that in the Upper East Side. We have a quota. There was a different type of affirmative action going on in NYPD. And he was so strong, he got his commanding officer on audio asking for this, filed a lawsuit against the NYPD with like 12 other cops. There's a documentary about him, Edwin Raymond. He's a lieutenant, despite all these efforts. And it's just like, oh, there's a culture that's allowed to fester, which can happen anywhere. Right? Wherever there's people, there's culture. And sometimes yeah. that culture is very unhealthy. And so the training needs to change and there needs to be a reprogramming, a reculturing inside these communities um, because left undone, you get this, what they call it, the, uh, 
the warrior mentality, That's the right. siege mentality, you know, the occupying mentality versus the servant. You know, versus but with the, all the hate that's coming that way, my I guess my fear is that that just go that, yeah. that just you dig in deeper. I, mean, I what hear are you, you going to do when they're and coming that's the, at that's you. That's the natural that, human response. That's natural, and and I yeah. think with defund, I think you know uh, where, where it gets confusing and 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 tough is you know look man, there's there's all this stuff. I I don't know if you you guys know who Renzo Gracie is, but he has this whole program. He's a, a part of the legendary jujitsu family. He, he's going around the country now working with different police departments because his thing is that you know police go on go out onto the streets and they get four hours a year of physical hand-to-hand combat. So when they get out on the streets- That's why they just draw their gun every time. I mean, what would you do, right? It's like, like you literally do. like, if look, if you're, tr- if you train in fighting, you, you, you know, I, 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 I trained for a long time as a boxer, right? Like I've trained a little bit in jujitsu now. If you're training in jujitsu every day, you're getting hands on you. You don't, you don't freak out. Yeah. You know what I mean? So what Renzo Gracie is doing is he's going around, he's working with different police departments and it doesn't matter, old, young, everybody train, train jujitsu. And basically what it is, is it's not striking you. Yeah. It's not hitting you with a billy club. It's, 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 submission. It's, getting, it's submission, holding you down. And what he found it, it, um, he worked with this one police force in, uh, that made it mandatory in Marietta, Georgia. Mm. And they found that it cut down suspect injuries by over 50%. Yeah. It cut down officer related injuries by 100%. There was no oh. officer related. And again, what it did is it made these police officers walk around with a level of of, of confidence. It's not about defunding. It's just about smarter funding yeah. and 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 let, let, let let's change up the game. And 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 I don't know. You know, that's that, that those are the things. I, there's something about me that loves the idea of like jujitsu trained police forces all over the country. That's, I mean, Jocko <laughs> Wilnick, you know, he he said he said public land He's really yeah. smart. He's Navy SEAL. You know, really. You know, he he said that you basically you should not be allowed to be a police officer until you've achieved your blue belt in jujitsu. That's great for the situations that actually have an inevitable physical confrontation. It's what do you do about situations in which there's actually no physical uh-huh. confrontation, and what the police need to is language training. It's like what is what are the words that come out of your mouth in the first? Yeah, but bro, I think those things are so connected with another physical. I, I think those things are being. so connected. I think that like the guy again, you go into a situation like we see with the with, with with I think was it Virginia with the with the Army Ranger who was related to to Eric Gardner and he, the, the the guy was yelling at him at, oh, at the gas at, station. Was that the gas? Was that I a gas so. station? Yeah. But you know the cop was like, yeah, you know he's you well, motherfucker. He was a small man, like internally. Uh, you know yeah, what I mean? Just man. like, just like, dude, you are weak. a coward, bro. Yes. Like you are just wreaking cowardice. And like, yeah. I think if you you have any, you know, kind of control over your body or or, or confidence, I think that's right. It, assu- it, it assumes that race is not a factor in some of these things. Well, right? what, what I found and, from, from my friend Phil with the Policing Equity Group, I remember when he was a grad student at UCLA years ago, and he showed me his early research. And I was like, what are you working on? He's like, I'm working on getting cops not to kill so many black people. I was like, oh, cool. I'm, I'm working on jokes to tell drunk people. <laughs> We're the same. <laughs> <laughs> and and he, uh, he had this video training, and it was unreleasable. It's all very public now. But he's like, people think that what the reason cops kill black people is because cops don't like black people. And they have there's like a racist gene or some kind of trigger inside of them that you could measure and index. Like I went through all, put them all through these tests. There's not a ton of like anti-black racism per se. What there was that was much more measurable was weak masculinity. Was a, a lot of men and the situation that would happen is a male cop would be chasing a suspect. 
Suspect catches the suspect talking all kinds of shit. Yo, mama, this, blah, 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 blah. Another male cop is witnessing this. So the first male cop is like, I can't look bad in front of my boy. Yeah. I gotta, I gotta punch you. I gotta kick you. I gotta tase you. Maybe I have to shoot you just to prove to the other wolf that I'm alpha. It's like ancient shit. Yeah. And so they start to put in procedures like we do in our society to overcome some of these evolutionary animal pieces of ourselves where the person who is the primary chaser of the suspect does not lay hands on the suspect. They're too amped up. It's got too much to do they have too much to prove. So you get them to the officer two, you engage, right? You have less at stake. And you give them yeah. other techniques to submit, you know, maybe some jujitsu training. Yeah. But the, the, the weak maleness and that locker room peer pressure, I can identify with that. Sure, you know, yeah. I have been subject to that. Yep. And I have felt called to demonstrate it yep. at times in my life where I was like, I ain't going out like no punk. Yep. I'll just, I'll start Every talking. man has felt Yeah, I will, I need to that. talk shit right now That's right. or else I look weak. As soon as that shit gets public. Yes. Because yeah, then it's a performance now. That's right. That's, it, that's right. what Twitter is. That's right. Right? That's, right. <laughs> that's what Twitter is. just a public performance of that's grievance. Right. For some, and now I got to say hateful shit about you because all these people are watching. There's a crowd, so I'm on stage. Sure so I got to act like I'm tough. And that's when you start hurting people but unnecessarily. I, I think it's really smart to look at it that way, like this masculinity yeah, crisis. It's, it's a new and, angle. Yeah. yeah, man. And I, and, I, and I just think that, like, again, I think, like, you know, you know for you know, for the guy who like was playing the Punisher, you know, I, mean? I think it's like, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, again, man, I think that like, you know, this idea of what masculinity means yeah. is take no shit. And like, I'll, but like, not nah, man, it's like being compassionate, being empathetic, be like, and, and I guess that's so what, let me ask him about the Punisher. Cause yeah. I think one thing, interesting thing about the Punisher is like, I know that's brought you a lot closer to a lot of law enforcement people, you know, at the same time, like, you know, I occasionally take a little, spin through your like instagram feed and the comments that get made and there's some crazy Straight shit up. in there yep, yep. and i'm curious like how do you how do you handle the fact that people interpret a character like that actually to reinforce that toxic masculinity which is probably not the intention of the character not the intention of how you wanted to play it but in somehow, like, you're now inculcated in that world because of the fact that you represented it. And now you've got, to your point on Twitter, this stream of just wild nonsense that comes in on the back end of it. Well, well look, man, I, 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 I mean, I think th there is a level of, uh, you, you know, my mom, who was a social worker, who worked with troubled teens. She would always say. Oh, so she was perfect for you. <laughs> that was the mom you needed to have. She, wow, it's her training. She, yeah, she, she, she did great, man. Uh, you know, she, you know, she, she would always say, you, you know, what young men do is they identify with the aggressor. They, they, they find the thing that, 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 that scares them, and they say, I'm like that person. I'm not, like they dress up like that. I want to be a monster. I want to be a, you know, I want to be this. I want to be that. Uh, you, you know, look, I, 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 I cherish the fact that you know those kinds of roles that I played grants me access to have the kind of conversations with folks that I think a lot of actors couldn't, couldn't really, really have. What I find, a, a couple things. I mean, num number one, what I find is those people who are really, you know, wear it on their sleeve. The, you, you know, the, the, the real super aggro, you, you know, I'm about my guns and I'm about, you know, all that stuff. To me, they they just reek of fear. Same you know, masculinity like, problem. Same thing, right? Yeah. And so it's like that, and, and it's not like okay, man, I can't even fuck with you. But it's like, dude, I like you need you, you know like 
It's not, and, and, and what I find is just trying to get really soft with those people, mm. trying to get really like, uh, trying to get them to, to, to drop that a little bit. What I found is they drop it almost the minute you give them permission to do that. They're hungry for it's, it. Yeah, man. Well, that, that, that mask mail to mail can, is yeah. like a way of trying to tap into it. They but hate they, no one ever approaches them. Nothing like to that. be worried about, bro. But but, but hard. it's also let me see a lot of people who who I think really are this kind of model of of, of masculinity. They understand they they, they sort of um, they, they they understand this humility, and and you see that like with real strong men you know, it's, it, it, it's humility, like not taking yourself seriously, like not looking for the fight, like really understanding that you can, you should put this on your Instagram. Like this, this is a great, well, well, to be honest with you, man, like if you look at my Instagram and again, this is not like, because I curate my, I, I mean, you know me, I just like this, I, I'm yeah. not a curator, but like my Instagram is like my dogs and my kids. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I love my family, dude. Like I love my wife. And, and I think now in the, you know, in a world that's, you know, dominated so much by social media, so much of it is like, Hey, I'm this person. Hey, on this part, it's all a bunch of masks and costumes. If we had a way to, um, to like hug and hold everyone so that they could release some of this tension, this toxicity, this fear, that would help a lot of what we've been talking about. Straight up. I mean, it's just like the number of white people who I come across who I know are just afraid. And so they put up the, well, fuck Black Lives Matter then. What about white lives matter? We had this conversation at Sidwell. Why, there's a black student union? We should have a white student union. <laughs> literally. You're like, no, that's called the school. Yeah, which <laughs> is literally what school. I said. Like, I thought it was clever. It was a good know? line. They didn't think so so much. Um, but that comes from this like, position of weakness and not knowing oneself. And to look at yourself, you're going to find some stuff. Straight you're up. You're going to find some missing pieces. And so for a man who's like trying to fill those holes with aggression and guns and flags and blood and brutality. It's like, oh, you need the softness. You need so. some other way to express yourself. You need yourself. the opposite of You that. need a go-go. <laughs> Straight up, you want to get back to that go-go yeah, shit. You need. That was a brilliant you know, segue. Amazing. I'm jealous. Everybody go -go. needs a go-go. <laughs> but, but also, I think, man, you need to laugh. Like, yes. I think like, and like, you know, yes. you look There's at- other ways at, to release and process up. that aren't so brutal on yourself much less on other people because this, this shit hurts us too. And I think, I think that the, you know, the danger is, you, you know, with, with, with comedy and with, with art, you know, it's, it's um, you know, with these outlets that we have, I mean, to be honest with you, man, the going around and giving hugs, like, I don't know if that's going to work. You know what I mean? Like, I, 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 but like, I think you really can reach people through yeah. art. I think you really can reach people with comedy. I think the, pro the, the thing that we've really got to be cognizant of is that so there's, there, there's, there's been such a, a push for, um, you, you know, sort of like this, this like educational bent of social justice going into art, going into comedy. People are afraid of what they can say, afraid of what they can't say. And like, you know, the funniest motherfuckers of all time were the people who just said the shit you're really not supposed to say, man. And you can like share and nothing brings people together more than laughing, you know, and, 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 you know, that, that, that's a, that's a concern too, I think, you know, tell everybody where we can find you. Uh, you can find me at baratunde.com and the show at howtocitizen.com. And, and we're doing this show that's about, uh, it's ultimately about how we live together with all our differences. That's, that's what democracy is about. It's not about like, we all submit to that dude up there 
who crushes our differences and makes us bow down to him. That's not democracy. It could be effective, but it's, it's not pretty. It's not so much fun. And so we're trying to create this culture of democracy that doesn't sound like civic engagement and just voting. It sounds like breaking it down to these pieces of how do we show up for each other? How do we participate in this society? How do we know the power that we have? Because there's so much language out there about how some people have power and there's people who don't. And I don't like that dichotomy. I don't think that's true. Um, and how we benefit all the, all the folks. You know, some of the stuff we've already talked about now. Less us versus them. Yeah, yeah. More we. Yeah, yeah. And so this show, I'm very proud of this shit because the second season is all about money and how the economy isolates us, makes us feel alone, and we have to figure shit out all by ourselves. Yeah. And it's built on all this racist bullshit that we can overcome if we work at it. Uh, so check out How to Citizen with Baratunde. That's the, that's the jam. And we have more stuff coming. We're talking about technology in the third season, which is also ripe for some different types of innovation. Straight up. Stuff that doesn't encourage all the ugly, ugly parts of our humanity. Straight yeah. up. Yeah. Compassion and patience and grace are so hard to offer, but it's what we all demand, right? We all want second chances. We all want to be seen not by the worst thing we've ever done yeah. or the mistakes we've made. Yeah. And I remember checking myself in the past couple of years, because I've been so hard on like criminal justice reform, restorative justice, a good friend of mine served 19 years. You meet when you know somebody who's done yeah. that kind of time and you know them as a good father and a community leader yeah. and they murdered someone. And you're like, can I hold both of these with love inside the same person? Or am I going to mouth off in a bullet point fashion about how murderers don't deserve, sh you know, lock them up, throw away the key. Am I going to discard a human being? Or am I going to remember them, you know, for the worst thing they ever did? So I, I know intellectually and practically, heart-wise, like, people can grow. And we all make fucking mistakes. Yeah. And so when I see some of the stridency and the dismissiveness around our struggle to recognize race and do better around it, somebody says the wrong word, uses the wrong thing, doesn't show up, or is a bit hypocritical, actually hypocritical, right? And it's like, cut them off, send them north of the wall. I recognize the good feelings that that brings and the self-righteousness and the, judge, the judgment that comes. And I recognize the, the futility and the limited and the coldness of that and the deep hypocrisy to not offer what we're asking for. Mm -hmm. So like if, you're, if you utter the words restorative justice and criminal justice reform, you can't be like, cut this person off forever. Because yeah. that's exactly what we're fighting against. Yeah, that's a really good point. And it's so hard. Yeah. And I just like, I say it, but it's like, it's hard to say. Straight up. Yep. But I also know it, it needs to happen because we all have to be willing to see the, the best, to see the potential, and to create a path for someone to make amends. I, I really appreciate you. So do man. I. I really appreciate this you guys. This was great to see you. Great. Guys. Yeah. What a reunion. Yeah. This is a man great sit well reunion. Yeah, dude. Straight oh, up. I love y'all. This is Straight beautiful. Love y'all yeah. too. Can't man. be 20 years now. No. Yeah. No. And we live in the same county. Yes. There you go. You know, so let's fix that. Fuck yeah. I look forward, forward to seeing to you again, not on John Bernthal's roof. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Rock I want to see your Ojai spot. Uh, yeah, um, come on, I, man. I hear the way you talk about it. Dude. Cow, you know, Dude. animals and whatnot. Dude, you live in that farm yeah, life. A little slice of heaven. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you Much love, for the invitation. Yeah. Man. Yes. Yeah.